Welcome to today's episode of the Group Therapy Podcast. Today we have uh, writer, producer, director, uh, actor, um, special effects. Per- you, you do everything. Um, Adam Freeman from uh, uh, from Tennessee, um, filmmaker. Uh, Adam, tell us about yourself. Well, um, I got started uh, as an actor. And um, I, it's kind of interesting how I got into that. Um, one of my favorite shows is called Claws, uh, TNT's Claws with Niecy Nash. Um, it had an actress on there named Del Dickey, and she actually came to Tennessee. Uh, her brother lived here, and um, they, uh, she kind of got me into acting. Uh, I was a barista working at Starbucks, and um, I knew who she was, and she came in all the time, and uh, she kind of led me to where I needed to go, and so I got um, professional uh, acting classes uh, about Hollywood acting coach, and then um, from there, I started uh, just kind of writing out my own scripts, and then I started doing line producing on films, and then I just kind of put everything together and started um, line producing things, and that's where I'm at today. I started uh, my very first movie was Deadly Dealings, which I did a couple of years ago, and it just came out um, this past year. And um, it is available on Blu-ray. Uh, it'll be available on streaming and DVD later this year. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you sent me a screener on that. Um, that is <laughs> a. Uh, I, I, I don't want to take this. Don't take this. this is not meant to be bad. It is. Uh, <laughs> As, as I was talking to you, I was like, it's batshit crazy in a good way. <laughs> it's very uh, garish uh, on purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, um, lot, A lot of blood and a lot of glitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the um, the kind of my, my theme that I, I kind of want to go for on any film that I do is kind of like Lisa Frank meets horror but kind of on acid <laughs> so well it, the, the movie I, and i and i, I don't want to give nothing away for this movie um it does have a very dreamy feel it doesn't mm-hmm. feel real and yeah. it's and um i don't know um if it was your choice it, everything has that slight haze that mm-hmm. that that dreaminess to it and uh it's it just it's one of the ones where I, I sat down the other day and I sat down and watched it and like I c- had to get up to go do stuff and I couldn't get up to go do stuff because I was like, I'm, I just kept watching. <laughs> I couldn't even pause of, it. I was like, I was just like, okay, I'm just, I'm still watching. I'm still... That, and, and that... uh, the purpose of the dreamy Phil is to get people to not stop watching it. Yeah. And, and, the the uh, I, I do have to ask you one thing because it's even listed in the in the in the uh, uh, trivia, uh, the wigs was the yeah. w- <laughs> <laughs> was um, was the the wigs a, a conscious thing to put in there or was it just something you just added or or how'd that come about? It was purposely meant to look like a wig, um, but in the movie it's supposed to be real. But um, it's kind of like an artistic choice because there are movies that I love um, from the 70s, like uh, I love a lot of the 
Edward Edwige Finnick films, and a lot of the actors in those films were wigs, uh, but it was never the lead actor. Um, but also, um, I'm really a huge fan of Anna Biller, uh, who who um, designed and created a masterpiece called The Love Witch. I don't know if you're familiar with that title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a film that was made in like 2017, and um, they used a lot of wigs, and they she handcrafted the costumes, which I did as well on some of them, not all of them. Um, but also I did a lot of built sets, um, tried to design everything and get handmade items for the film to have that very earthy kind of um, organic feel to it. So it was done on purpose. Okay. Yeah, it, it's, it, and it, it, it puts that like uneasy dreaminess to everything because you notice the wigs, you see everybody wearing wig, but no one of us acknowledged it's, it's all just, in there <laughs> there's like two people who didn't wear a wig in that in that film so <laughs> well, it even took me a minute because i'm sitting there watching it and i'm watching it i'm like why does milo look familiar <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like oh duh it's the, it's the director it's <laughs> i actually won an award for that role and i never dreamed that it would happen um i won best scream king um, in the Sarah Horror Film Festival, which um, I now have the title, so I'm I'm pretty happy with it. So um, I was really um, nervous about the film because um, I knew like not a lot of people would get that what I was going for, and they would just think like, "What is this?" And it's kind of like if you have that background in horror, you kind of you can see where I pulled different things from um, older films or you know, um, uh, I know a lot of people want to say like the giallo lighting mm -hmm. um, throughout. It's actually the giallo lighting is actually not. Uh, I was not inspired by um, for this film. Um, I actually took that straight from a dream that I had, where everything was just really those colors, and I mm -hmm. actually put the dream. In writing, I, I woke up from it and I wrote it at three o'clock. And I'm sure you remember where Jess is reading the dream mm -hmm. um, journal. That was actually the dream that I saw all that lighting from. Okay. So um, that's kind of like where I uh, designed everything around that writing. And I thought it was important to put that also in the film. Now, I, I have to ask, did the which came first did the the concept with the dreaminess of the movie or did you deal with the script then kind of add that accordingly well originally deadly dealings was not supposed to be deadly dealings um it was actually and i can i can say this now since i now have the rights to it it was supposed to be the remake of screen dream <laughs> and um I now have the rights. Uh, I, Your I next did, movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I did um, get like a permission to write it. And it was kind of like a three three to four year process to get Scream Dream going. And at the time, the director um, of Scream Dream was just like kind of changing his mind that he didn't want to do it. And I was like, that's okay. Um, I have a lot of aesthetics and a lot of stuff already planned out. So what I'll do is I will put something personal together. Um, I'll switch up the poster, which we had like two or three posters that um, 
look very similar to the one that's all out right now, but um, it was completely alternate. We had the we probably drove the artist crazy, but we altered it, um, and we still used the scene from the poster and like changed the chainsaws around. So that's kind of like why people have been asking, like, why does it look like Scream Dream? And like, it's not, but it was going to be. So, <laughs> um, but after that, um, I did, I already had several scripts written. I can bust out a script so fast. Um, and that's not saying that to like, you know, uh, I just, when I start writing, I'll write for 10 hours a day and I'll keep going. Um, so I, um, I actually like wrote, I think, last year or was it last year or this year uh, about four or five scripts like within about three months Ooh, and I was like I just need to like take a break because I'm getting too much on my plate that I want to do so I'm kind of you know so yes the script came first um but I already had the aesthetics and everything done before the script um so then I just kind of tweaked everything and did a personal project Okay, uh, I I have to ask. You're you're able to put out that many scripts in a very short amount of time. Now, if if you're, are you one of the people like your brain never shuts off? Yes, I don't ever take a break. Um, like right now, um, what I'm doing is for Screen Dream, just for as an example. Um, we need 13 grand more for special effects. Uh, everything else is fully funded and everything else is paid for. So 13 grand. So I literally work constantly, but I've been doing this nonstop for about, I guess, seven years now. Um, I've been in this, but, uh, I work from like 1130 at night till 630 PM the next night. Almost every day I have one day off, one day to sleep a week and that's it. So I just constantly work, constantly gain budget, constantly trying to find new ways to like sell product, make, make money for Scream Dream. Um, but that's just kind of how I work. Like I just am a really hard worker. I never, never shut my brain off. <laughs> it, it's definitely one of those, those hard to do things. Um, mm -hmm. I'm one of the people, my, my brain 24 hours a day, seven days a week cause me. So I, I don't sleep worth a damn anymore. Uh, cause I'm always thinking, um, and not a lie, um, I just missed the one thing that I was going. I was I, well, I wanted on your Scream Dreams uh, um, Indiegogo, which was to be on the cover of a cassette. The oh, the the, the, the music, the band, they and like I was like, ah, oh, sweet, and I I transferred some money over so I could put it in my uh, PayPal so I could pay. And by the time I went back, it was sold. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. If anything is sold out, just reach out to me and I will I will take care of that. <laughs> I can right. always do more. Yeah. Because the worst part about it is, is that I think I, I don't have it anymore. But uh, I joke around that the first concert I went to, I was the 80s hair guy. So uh -huh. I had my hair. Well, I didn't have it all poofed up, but I had long hair at the time, really long hair. Mm -hmm. I had on the my leather coat, leather pants, bullet belt. Uh <laughs> Amazing, but that that tells you how old I am. I I was I am that was uh, my senior year in high school in 1992. So I'm going to show you something exclusive since you're right. talking about it. Um, I don't really show anybody except maybe I think I may have this room as a mess because this is where I keep all the film stuff. 
But oh, let's see. Oh, just to kind of like tell you a little bit about costuming, because <laughs> you're going into that. Um, here is my Scream Dream costume. <laughs> nice. Without um, harness underneath. Yeah, we're going very edgy for this. Very, very, very edgy. <laughs> And I I have to I I know it it says on the uh, uh, on the IMDb trivia, and now you're wearing your Powerpuff Girl shirt that that uh, the demon in uh, uh, Deadly Dealings was was essentially a tribute to him. <laughs> oh god, yes. Oh god, yes. I love Powerpuff Girls. I think there's a lot of great stories. Like there's a harness for it, nice. um, but. Um, the Powerpuff Girls, I think, back in the day, I just loved watching them so much, and I loved um, uh, being able to uh, kind of have, like, that cartoon that was kind of fresh, different, and unique, and um, it really um, it really was, had a lot, a lot of villains, oh, so yeah. for me personally, um, I thought that it was, you know, just a great cartoon. And I take a lot from it as well. There's like a, there's a lot of different types of episodes, like where they like rhyme. Uh, there you go. So through, which I actually tried to do during a uh, during a script that I wrote one time, and everybody's like, "No, just stop it, please, please, we can't take this." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> so no more rhyming," because I made an entire script where we just rhymed almost the whole time. So, hey, I grew I grew up with. Uh, um... One of my favorite comic book characters was was the demon from DC Comics, and everything he talked was in rhyme. Oh wow! I grew up on that. But no, I was uh, doing this. I got uh, I got pages from the original uh, Powerpuff Girl comic book. Oh, that's amazing! That's it's, uh, bed crime stories. I might have made. Other, got a couple other floating around here. But Although, I also have Roddy Rough Boys on here too. So the Roddy Rough Boys. Love the rowdy I, I love Mojo Jojo. That's yes, yes. Um, I had a cat named Mojo. I I did too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> See, no, everybody. I have, I have a dog named Courage, who's around here somewhere. And uh, as he hears me call his name, he comes running. We need a live action of Courage to carry the dog. No, they, they they need a live action, but the dog is completely animated. Just, yes, just, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Everything is live action, but a cartoon dog running around. So, oh man, I still haven't watched the Scooby Doo one though yet. The Scooby Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Dog. Oh, I haven't seen that. I have not seen that. <laughs> um, so uh, you talk about you know your Jallo and stuff like. Now, do you ever like sit down to write a script, going, okay, this is going to be my Italian movie. This is going to be my slasher movie. This is going to be a an art piece or anything like that? There is a script that I wrote called Wolf Lust that I'm in love with. Um, I absolutely, absolutely love, love, love uh, the film. Uh, she, is it, let's see. What's it called? There's two different titles. It's The Legend of Female Werewolf. I think it's called Female Werewolf. Is on the DVD or Blu-ray cover. And uh, it has uh, Anna... Uh, 
what's her name? Sorik. Sorikin, I believe, is her name. And she does a fantastic job. It's really psychological. But it's the best werewolf movie. And I did write a script based on that movie. It yeah. was like from the 70s. Female yeah, werewolf. Yeah. I've, I've got it. It's uh, Legend of the Werewolf Woman. It, well, it's got like five different titles. It yeah. just depends on which version you get. I I have it on uh, two different DVDs and it's two different names. So <laughs> you like it though? Yeah, I love it. It's it's uh it's <laughs> it's very much a product of the seventies, and it is a uh, um uh early like female empowerment movie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's one of the early ones of the uh because uh, we didn't really have any women werewolves at that point in time it was always guys yeah so yeah i dig that movie it's and that's that movie inspired me i considered it a giallo um but just like more like a supernatural giallo um lizard in a woman's skin which i have poster over there um another one of my favorite giallos uh i love whatever what have you done to solange uh, with Camille Keaton, um, I have that poster, um, Madeline Anatomio Down in Cabot, which is Madeline's study of a nightmare. Um, I have the original 70s poster that's holographic, signed with the older film version that was lost and the new uh, cut of the film. But those are movies that really inspired me because um, they have like a craftsmanship to them, you know? So um, people who especially in indie cinema who put craft into their film um to me that's what kind of sparks them from being different because a lot of a lot of times people tend to you know they they get their actors on set they're wearing whatever they're going they're wearing for the day you know they don't have you know there's no process for uh costuming Mm -hmm. and what i like to do is i like to make sure you know I go over, we go over hair, we go over makeup, we go over jewelry, we go over wardrobe. Um, just now, like on Scream Dream, um, when Indiegogo sent the first half of the budget over, um, I bought everybody's wardrobe. So I thought that was really important. And I've got like all lace front wigs. So the difference between these wigs that's going to be in this film prior to the last film is they're ultra realistic. Okay. So um, I don't really think people are going to, I mean, they might be able to tell, but it's really real looking. So that's a good thing. Um, so I just feel like it's important to to do the little things in film. And I think Giallo's really did that um, more so than American horror uh, or American slasher films did. Yeah, I, I we, Amazing. all right. So. I got to ask, we're going to start getting into the hard hitting questions that I ask everybody, every filmmaker that I talk to. Mm-hmm. All right. Money is no, ob- is no object and time is no object. You can, you can bring somebody back from the past or whatever. Who would you bring to be in your movie? Oh, that's easy. Anna Nicole Smith. Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah. Damn. That's that. You had that one in, in, in the chamber ready to go. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love her. She's a she's a role model for me. I've loved her since I was a kid. She was the first celebrity that passed away in my life that I literally just bawled my eyes out. I remember exactly where I was at. I was in a hot tub and I was outside just like looking at the stars and here comes my mom and she's like, Adam, 
and Nicole Smith died and I just lost it. But I have her autograph in here. Um, I never got to meet her. I just bought it off um, this uh, uh, thing at a convention. And um, I have all of her movies. Um, love the woman. I think she was, I think that she was brilliant. And honestly, I, I don't think people give her the credit that, that she has because a lot of times like people who have like, and especially like my personality, that's just kind of like wacky and funny and goofy, you know, like that, that's me. Um, when I'm not working, people tend to like take you for stupid or especially like, you know, since I'm blind, like, oh, you're blind, you know? And I feel like, you know, it's kind of like cliche that people say that and it just is not, it doesn't sit really well. So like, um, I think, you know, that I, I like to say that I think that she was a lot smarter than what she was. Well, she, she had to be. I mean, she knew how to market herself. Mm -hmm. She, you know, was a guest model. She she went, oh, and, yeah. you know, I hate to say this. She figured out how to play the game. And oh, sometimes yeah. that's that's, you know, sometimes I hate to say it, you got to play dumb to to play the game. So, yeah. <laughs> Very and, true. Very true. And uh, as as I've told people, I was like, you know, it's like one of the problems is with being smart is so many people expect more out of you than you're willing to give, because people expect you to to like, well, oh, you're am like sometimes you got to play dumb because you don't want to do something. <laughs> um, did you notice in Deadly Dealings the homage to Anna Nicole? I missed that. That's all of Jessa Flex's character. I I, I kind of wondered about the that makes sense with the accent and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. She had to study Anna Nicole like in interviews and Dolly Parton in interviews to really pull out the accent for me and um, like Steve and you know we're from Tennessee so we already had that accent but she's from Indiana so that was you know. Kind of a challenge, I feel like, for her, but I think she had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I said, with, with uh, Anna Nicole and and uh, that that's that's fun that you put that little tribute in there to the to the to the character. Yeah. Um, okay, now I gotta ask. Money's no object. Music. What kind of hmm. what what music are you putting in there? Um, I'm really different on music. I like a lot of synth pop. Um, and I do like a lot of synthwave music. I do like some pop, um, not very much, but if I had to put any music in there, I would do Duffy. Um, she's my favorite album was Rock Fairy album. Um, I listened for years and years and years. I listened to that album, um, every morning with my coffee. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on a. I got on a big synth wave kick recently. Well, recently, about two years ago, and I've been buying vinyl constantly. So I have like a really nice synth wave collection going. You should get the Rock Fairy album and listen to that whole album. It's absolutely like some of the most emotional yet brilliant music. But what happened to Duffy was just so tragic. I, a lot of people, I don't think, realize what happened to her. Um, she was abducted in her own house for like, I think, four weeks or something and was tortured and, and raped. And um, and that and that's why she left 
the music scene. But her house did burn down too. So the poor woman, like that poor woman, I feel so sorry for her. But yet I just was that she has one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard. Wow. That's great. I did not know that. Yeah. But you should listen to Rock Fairy. Amazing album. I have to look that up. All right. Um, so with upcoming projects, you're working on uh, uh, Scream Dreams. And that's the first time I've been able to get that out without screwing that up for some reason. That is a mm-hmm. tongue twister for me, and I cannot figure out why. <laughs> I, I kept trying to, when I was interviewing Angel, I kept trying to say, and it would not come out. I kept going, scream, dream, dream, <laughs> scream, scream, dream. And I'd have to take a pause, and I, all of a sudden it stopped with, scream, dream. There, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't know why. It's, it's, for some reason, my brain does not want to put those two together and make it come out properly. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. It's a time twister. Yeah. Um. So I got to ask, when you cast your movies, do you have mm-hmm. people in mind when you put the cast together? Or do you go out looking for certain people that just kind of fit those roles? Um, what I do is, um, I w- where I've worked a lot on other film, um, when I work with someone, I like to look at their perf- how professional they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, people don't know it, but if you work with me on a project, the entire time I'm thinking, would I cast this person? Would I cast this person? Um, is this someone who can do a good job? Um, are they being professional? Are they drinking on set? Or are they being sober? Because that happens a lot on other sets. Like, I don't like when people drink on sets. I think it's really unprofessional. Um, I um, am looking at um, the way that they deliver lines, how they look on camera. Um, I look at their following as well. see if they're really popular, if they're in demand. Um, But then also, I have actors that um, I think are brilliant that nobody's casting because they're not really putting themselves out. So it's like, even though they don't put themselves out, that's special for me because I can put them in my film and they will be a standout, you know? Um, and that's kind of, I think that's where, you know, Steve uh, McGill um, really comes in. Like, I think he's a really good actor. Um, he was uh, in the film uh, Reunion from Hell. And um, he did a really, really good job. And people were coming up to him after the premiere of that. And they were just saying, oh, like, I love you and everything. But he doesn't, like, he doesn't, like, really put himself out there to, like, go and be cast or anything. So it's like I constantly want to use him because I think he has the talent. Um, when it comes to Ronnie Jonah, um, I've worked with her. We It was really weird. Like, I was in, like, four movies with her before I ever met her. So um, when, uh, when I got on set with her, like, she has her own method of how she does things and she's really professional and she's a hundred percent. Um, I look for people who are a hundred percent, um, who will go out and promote the film. And the reason I say like, I know they're not, I know they're actors, not promoters, but this is an indie scene and they have followings. So I tend to look for people who are comfortable with like letting us tag them or comfortable, like making like a post a day, a post every couple of days, that way, and that's a really big thing right now, like, in the indie scene, because, like, people argue that they shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're in a film and you're excited about it, and you don't mind to promote, then I'll ask you to, you know? And um, 
I think that um, I look for all those all those qualities in my cast. Yeah. Well, you you got to be a, a self promoter. It's yeah. it's because if not, you know, people you got to get your name out there. You got to make sure people know who you are and stuff like that. And that's mm-hmm. how you continue to get roles and stuff. And I mean, if you if you're just going to sit back and be quiet about it, no one's going to even know that you're still available to even be hired. So, exactly. yeah, um, you know, it, it's I've I've known people that have been in movies. I've talked I have friends that are actors and stuff in the indie scene. And, you know, some of them are constantly they're working, 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 working. And then you got ones that are like, oh, I, I took a break. And then you're like, OK, where, where's your latest movie? And they're like, oh, you know, getting hard to get cast again. I'm like, you took that time off and you let people, you know, you weren't out there pushing yourself and keeping yourself out there, you know, come back to bite you in the ass later on. So, yeah. But I think it's also like it's really important to also kind of um, like where I was I've been a part of, I think. Well, there's some that's not on IMDb because they just haven't put them up yet, uh, which those are like the extreme films that I've done um, from like the extreme underground. <laughs> and the, um, but I think it's good to kind of like pace yourself. You don't want too much at one time um, because you'll be overexposed and everybody will be kind of like tired of seeing the same, you know, person over. And that's not saying that's a bad thing, but, you know, great that you're getting work, but we don't want the audience to get tired of you. Well, I find that with uh, a lot of actors, well, a lot of directors, actors, the director <laughs> finds a group of actors that he loves working with mm-hmm. and he keeps casting them over and over and over and again. And those movies all have the exact same people in slightly yeah. different, you know, in different roles. And I think sometimes that'll hurt them. But I mean, yeah, you know, you you work with certain people, they got a good rapport, you know, but then you go to watch a movie and it's like, oh, it's the same people again. And then you go yeah. to watch their next movie and it's like, oh, it's the same people again. And You're it kind of turned little... into Ron Murphy. <laughs> Which, I love Ron Murphy, that's not a bad thing, but it's kind of like you're doing your own series with the same actors, is what it kind of, what it mm-hmm. seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. See, now, I would love to do something like that myself and cast mm-hmm. people you know, so it's a reoccurring thing, but it's completely different. But that's the whole premise of the whole idea, like like your American Horror Story stuff and whatnot. Yeah. But uh, when you're doing completely different projects, you know, but you still got the exact same actors in, you know, say you're doing a Western, then you're doing a horror and you have the exact yeah. same people, you know, it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or you're like, well, that, you know, or you see, uh, I hate to say this, you see a certain a certain actor or actress like, yep, they're getting naked. Uh, that girl's going to die. Because uh, <laughs> you can tell because they were just their, their Latin life. I will, I will say this. Um, I did put some of my cast from Deadly Dealings into Screen Dream because, A, I was comfortable because the new Screen Dream film is going to have a lot a lot, a lot, a lot of adult content in it. And I wanted to be with people that I was comfortable with, that were comfortable with me. So that's why I did cast some uh, some people from um, Deadly Dealings into Scream Dream mm-hmm. was because, A, you never know. I've seen it happen so many times to filmmakers. 
you hire a professional actress and then bam, like there's drama, <laughs> you know, like it just, it happens. Um, and it's, I, I've seen it where um, I'm not going to say the name of the project, but I was a part of a project a while back and a girl got off the plane. She hadn't even read the script and it was a rape and revenge film. And she had a problem with the rape portion of it, which that was her character. That's what she signed up for. And she, they thought, you know, she had read the script because she had said that she did. But then she got back on the plane and went back home um, once she got off of it. And it totally ruined uh, the shoot. But they, they did make do. They, they did get someone else that was there to go ahead and take that role. But they were unprepared, you know, because so that is why I did cast some of the same people that I've worked with um, in Screen Dream. The way that I did. See, that's not a problem if you if you know you bring some of the cast over and stuff. It's just when it's same. Boom, <laughs> boom, 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 over and over and over again. Um, but that, you know, that's what I see. You know, I know the indie scene is, you know, sometimes you work with who you can get at the time when you're ready to shoot. And if you know them and you 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 know that they can always, you know, knock it out of the ballpark with whatever they're handed. Then yeah, you probably go with that, but it still kind of gets distracting after a while. So, yeah, but, yeah, and, and it's funny you're talking about being. I I did an interview with uh, an actress and director, and we were both in the same movie, and neither one of us met. We've still never met. We've only done the show together. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're in a movie together. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of people like that for me. Like, um, like when I've done. I think, like, when I did Savage, I only was with one other person, so I didn't meet any of the other cast, uh, in which it just came out, Savage Vengeance, the remake. Um, it had, like, uh, Tamara Glenn, Ronnie Jonah, uh, Cody Alexander, um, all these other people, and at the time, I had never met them, and then I eventually met pretty much almost the cast uh, through different films, so... We met on other projects, and uh, technically, we've worked with the same director. Um, oh, who was it? Uh, Henrik. Okay, for the found footage, the series. Yeah, yeah. I was. Okay. Uh, I I I was an extra in uh, Bulldog for Christmas, and I did some. I helped him do some other stuff that night, so I was like a <laughs> a grip for the night, and. Uh, <laughs> The worst part about it is I'm supposed to show up and I was supposed to be at a, ho a holiday party and I took off and left my jacket and my shirt at the house and I drove 30 minutes away and I get uh -huh. there and I get in my car and I'm like, oh. I was like, so I'm supposed to be at an office party and I'm legitimately just this dude in the background wearing a Godzilla t-shirt. So, <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's even more, that's better. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of the ones where um, people want to think that the indie scene is 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 it is it's huge, but it's relatively small when you think about it. Because a lot of people are connected to this guy, to this guy, or this girl, to this girl, and it's uh it's not as big as I thought it was, but it is still big. That's a weird way to put it. I mean, it. even here in Knoxville, there's a um, I run into people who are into the indie scene. I mean. You know, it's just it's just it's just really weird, and I'll like maybe go to like a con here and there or something, and I'm just like running into people. I'm like, oh hey, you know. <laughs> so it is small, but it's big at the same time. It's mm -hmm. it's it's weird. You kind of got your stars that 
that you meet like uh, that you just see out like you know at a convention or something they're just there as a not even as a guest or just there to be there and it's like oh hey like you're in you're in that film like you did a terrific job <laughs> yeah um it's it's weird because for the first time ever i was invited as at a con last year as a guest and i'm, uh, I'm like I, I don't know what i'm supposed to do i have no merchandise i have nothing all i did was set up my stuff show my shows and did interviews while i was there but <laughs> I know I had one got invited to a con like that where I was nothing. Had nothing. <laughs> I, I had one person who come up who knew me from my shows. He just he's luck. He's looking the video because I was I was running one of my shows on uh, on the computer setting on the on the table. And he looks at me and he looks back down at the TV. Looks up at me. Looks down at the TV and he goes, "You're Captain Cartoon." I went, "Yeah, yeah." I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I host a Saturday morning cartoon show, and that's my that's my stage name is Captain Cartoon, and some dude in Virginia knew who I was. So amazing, amazing. Now, I have to ask, um, with the rise of Tubi and Plex, mm -hmm. and these channels that are picking up a lot of the the indie movies and the low budget movies, is that a goal to go for now, or is it to get put on there, or is it still? To I think. Yeah, it, it's definitely a goal. Um, it's really hard to get on there. Um, distribution is a completely different ball game than filmmaking. And um, I spent several, several months before I just decided to do what I was going to do uh, with Deadly Dealings. Um, and I kept my Blu-ray rights. Um, so I put out the Blu-ray myself uh, so I can make profit off of it. But I just wanted to go ahead and get the film out. So I know I probably won't make profit from distribution because a lot of distribution companies don't pay the director or um, producers or anything like that. Um, they have really, really um, crazy contracts. You have to read the fine print and you break it down. It's like, okay, like we can sell it to the third party to the distribution company. We can change the name of it. We can put it out in a different country. We have the right to pay you, not to pay you. We have the right to show you the numbers, not show the numbers. So distribution um, is really, really tricky. Um, I was not expecting to get really good distribution on my first film. Um, but um, I did go with a company um, that does get their stuff out does put it on streaming they don't promote every title they have but it'll at least be out there available to buy if someone's not in contact with me yeah really no that that's the wife's dog the loud nut. um no i've i i got to talk to 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 don farmer uh, a couple weeks ago and we had a discussion about movies now did you have any say in putting your uh, um, DVD together, um, for for like, Deadly Dealings, not on the DVD um, because that'll be up to the distributor. They're going to make a new artwork for it, um, which we talked about, and I have, I kind of had a set thing that I wanted to do um, for them to kind of go off of. There we go. Now I got to ask though: Did you make the jacket or did you buy the jacket? I bought the jacket. It was um, $350. And then I bought spiked out uh, holographic shoes to match it 
that was like a hundred dollars. The wig that I got was another three uh, hundred. But I'll show it to you if you want to see it. Yeah, let's see it. Okay, so we're going for a very garish and very nightmarish here. So let's see. I think this is it right here. Yeah. Um, I actually am, and we'll go into this. I had a drag queen make this. So, um, let's see if I can. Here we go. Oh, it's blurry there. Let's see if I can take off the filter. Oh, there we go. Yeah, actually, I'll just do it this way. Well, yeah. it's gonna be better. Okay. Well, if I hate if you're gonna have anybody make you a wig, a drag mm -hmm. queen would be the best person to make you a wig. Oh yeah, this is massive. It's '80s hair all the way down, but that's like everybody. We've got a 40 inch long length crimped wig that's lace front. Angel's gonna have fun with this. That's all I'm saying. That's, that's long. That's longer than she is tall. <laughs> oh, I know. We'll probably have to cut it and put it up. And then we've got like the other stuff. Like this is like another one. This is like the style that it looks like, but it's just all blonde. Uh, then we got another one that's just all brown. And then I've got like Jess's jacket. <laughs> Very holographic. We're going for holographic throughout all this. I don't know if you can see it because I got the filter on. Yeah. But my whole room that there, there's no way to even get in here. There's just so much stuff for Scream Dream and um, Deadly Dealings in here as well. So it's definitely been in <laughs> trying to get used to not having a, a room that you can walk into with your stuff. Yeah. That that's come along pretty good. Um, but but yeah. before I get back, we'll get back to the to the distribution there and the DVDs. Um, when I was talking to Don, I didn't know like when he was telling me that he had to have because uh, um, he had house sh or shark exorcist. I said, why wasn't it the shark exorcist? Because that just seems like it would fit better. <laughs> it goes because. It was too many letters at the top of the DVD. He didn't want that. He wanted this. And I'm like, I managed a video store for years, and I never even thought about the the way the font or the picture sets on the DVD case until he told me that. And I'm like, oh, why didn't I? That's. It's actually a nightmare to get everything fit right. Oh, yeah. It, it is. Um, we went, I, I spent hours trying to figure out Dead the Dealings, um, but I finally figured out how to do it and make it look good, so. You know, and, and the worst part about it is, is like I said, I've been in the business or even in comic books, you, you know, I, I've talked to people who set up the pages and stuff like that, and I'm like, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, it should have been like the first thing I've been like, oh yeah, it's all about marketing and putting your picture on there. And, uh, I do got to say this. Thank you for putting artwork on the cover and and actual artwork and not just photoshopping uh, photos as the poster. Because I am, oh, a, yeah. I love 
art posters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really, we had a lot of, we had a huge time with the poster for Deadly Dealings. Um, we, we drove the artist crazy. I know we did. But for Scream Dream, um, we went with a different artist that, who does like a different method. And I think that the Scream Dream poster is just, it's everything that I wanted it to be plus more. I was literally shooketh whenever <laughs> I got that email back because I just told him, I was like, here's some pictures of Jessa. Uh, I kind of want her on the bed sitting like this way. I want a chainsaw coming to the bed, kind of like, you know, where it's at. He's like, say no more. I got it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So he came up with that poster and I think it's a damn good poster. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it, and, and I, I am a huge proponent for, for bringing back original artwork for posters, for movie posters. Um, I have no yeah. idea what's blinking behind me. I have, oh, you're fine. I have an alternate poster that people have seen, but they don't know it's going to be a poster yet. Um, it's the one, it's, I don't know if you saw any of our um, uh, AI art that we did for co- concept, but it was just so good that I had to, I had to use it. Um, it's a live girl. She's like holding a guitar kind of like this. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just really sparkly holographic and she has like the 80s hair and like crazy makeup. So I was like, we're going to totally use that for the VHS when it comes out. <laughs> That'd be cool. Get the VHS, get the, the... Oh, I love that. Um, so I, I got to ask, are you, are you going to have available full size movie posters? For Screen Dream? Mm-hmm. Yes, but they'll come later. For Deadly Dealings, um, Probably not. I can have them made for people who want one, um, but they're just really, really expensive. That's the only thing. Like for five of them, I think I paid one hundred and fifty dollars. But you can go to like cheaper places, but you're still looking at about the same, close to the same price, just because there's a lot of ink. Um, it's mm-hmm. you know it's a huge poster, but um, I will make that available to people for Scream Dream eventually. Nice. They could be signed. We can make it happen. <laughs> we can make it happen. Yeah. Um, that poster, though, I think it just it deserves that kind of treatment just because it screams 80s. Yeah. That's what we're going for. Um, and we're using a lot of pink throughout the film, like pink lighting and the locations that we got. Oh, my God. Um, wow. that That's a story in itself. Um, it's we got there was a. Uh, this this uh bed and breakfast up in indiana that um jessa knew the people and had done uh, boudoir photos and stuff there for um our social media accounts and um she knew the people really well they were looking for people to shoot in the film or not, not shoot in the film shoot films there mm-hmm. at the location and we got a deal on it and um i'm not gonna say how much or anything but we got two houses. They're old Victorian, elaborately decorated houses right in front of each other. So we're all going to live in one house, shoot in the other, and then switch it when we're ready to go to the next house. And it's just, it is absolutely stunning. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> so, yeah, Derek, Derek told me that that uh, when you shot uh, uh, Deadly Dealings, it was in a bed and breakfast, too. It, now, it was, yes. Do, do do you go in and tell them that you're going to be shooting a movie? 
for that one I didn't, but um, I never want to do that again. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have to take chances on right. indie filmmaking, and I've been on a lot of sets where nobody knows that they're filming. You just do it. <laughs> but we altered those sets so much, like you would never really be able to tell unless it was like a certain room or furniture. Like we switched like lighting lights. I've put so many um, props in there that you really wouldn't be able to tell. But um, a lot of times like you have to um, have insurance and things like that that people want you to have, which is not bad. That's important, but we couldn't afford it. We'd already spent like $40,000 and that was just on buying props, aesthetics, lights, paying everyone. And we just ran out of budget to be able to do that. So we just winged it. <laughs> I got to ask, uh, um, so was the glitter budget had to be huge, right? <laughs> glitter was actually, I just went to Walmart and got it. But um, I really, I really liked, I really liked like the shimmering holographic stuff in film. And, um, I was like, well, let's just, you know, let's let's add it in there. And, you know, it, it kind of represented something to me on a different level. So I was like, let's go for it. And we actually cut out, I believe it was like 40 minutes of Deadly Dealings. Um, so there was a lot more movie. But we cut it out just because we were like, ah, run time. We wanted to be quick and easy, you know. So um, when I wanted to keep it at the 70-minute mark. And I didn't want to lose the viewer's interest. And there was a lot more emotional material in there. Um, so we, we cut that out. Now, is that available on the Blu-ray? No, I'm not going to release that. <laughs> I don't want people to see that. Um, there would probably be like a director's cut maybe one day, but, um, probably not as of right now, just due to budget. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, do you, do you come up with the budget first or do you come up with the script first? I come up with the script first, but when I'm writing the script, I try to make it, um, I think of budget in mind while I'm writing. So I try to use like less locations, uh, try to have it like one or two, um, three, maybe four, you know, locations, because that's just so hard to, hard to come up with. <laughs> and um, location scouting can be a nightmare, which I have a absolute horror story. I would, I would definitely not tell the name of this person that it happened to but it, it was quite funny and humorous um but um we um being able to find locations is absolutely a nightmare especially here in tennessee because you don't have a lot of films being made here you have a lot of tv shows a lot of shows film around here especially like um uh, what is it called snapped killer couples and things like mm -hmm. that film around here but um, they have really big, you know, really big budgets to be able to pay for that. And I actually talked to somebody who worked um, on that on those shows. It was a friend of mine who actually worked on like, all of them. And um, he said that there was a Facebook group and they, they use Facebook for it. But everybody um, comes to them to get their home in the film. So, like, they have this list of people with and pictures galore of just all these homes and locations that they are able to choose from. We don't have that here. So, I wasn't supposed to tell that. It was supposed to be kind of like a secret, but I haven't talked to that person in, like, a few years, so it don't matter. <laughs> well, the, 
as I tell everybody, I was like all my filmmaker friends up here in Ohio. I'm like, well, if you ever need a comic book slash video game store, you can shoot at my shop. <laughs> that would that would be that would be epic to put that in one. Just because I like I like the like especially like when I watch Donald Farmer films, um and uh see like a throwback. You know, we don't have like a lot of comic book stores around here, you know. Mm -hmm. But back in the day you did have a lot of comic book stores or like movie rental stores. Um you know, and, and it's kind of like a time capsule, like looking back into it, like years down the road. So I always think it's really cool to put that stuff in film. Uh, it, it's funny because um, I was I wrote a script, I don't know, God, like 10 years ago, and uh, it took place in the 80s. And mm -hmm. uh, a couple of my filmmaker friends were looking at me because, man, don't do that. They're like, you're going to have so much problem finding stuff that, you know, to make it look like the 80s. I'm like, why? It's like, I just go in my house. I was like, I got, I got, I can literally go and put a TV with a VCR, VHS tapes, vinyl, CDs, cassette tapes. I was like, I can, I can have, I can make this room look like the '80s threw up in here. <laughs> yes, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, with us, because you know, Scream Dream is taking place in the '80s. I wanted something old and Victorian because that would, you know, that was before the '80s, so mm -hmm. it would still help hold up. And then just get the wardrobe and the hair and the makeup and kind of like bring the look of Jim and the holograms to life. <laughs> so um, that's kind of like what we're going for. And having them in that setting, I think it would really feel, you know, 80s. So, so uh, Jim and the holograms, love that cartoon. One of my favorites. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, literally the best villain ever. Because he's just a dude, and he's a record company guy, and he's the yeah. worst villain of every cartoon villain. <laughs> like the Misfits were just. Uh. <laughs> I have uh, um, uh, some of my comic book artist friends have done uh, commissions for me and my wife because my wife loves Gem and Holograms, so I have original mm -hmm. artwork for Gem uh, and Pizzazz, and. Oh. Uh, one year for our anniversary, I got my wife. She has a gem, the original gem doll, and the original pizzazz doll. So That's amazing. Well, gem and the holograms, I feel like it reminded me of Sailor Moon, the setup. Like with the, the music at the beginning, the way that it moved around and was animated. And I, I really feel like they took a lot of that uh, and put it in Sailor Moon um, in Japan. But... Um, I love the the style that Jim and the Holograms. Like you can literally watch that show and think, "Oh, this is totally '80s," you know. So I love that. Yeah. See, and that's I, what we're going for. I, I, I if I was doing what you were, what you're doing, there would definitely be a girl in the pink uh, dress and the uh, the belt and the whole nine yards. Because I we've if, got it. Yeah, I would have to put her. In here. <laughs> so I'll send you some photos of our wardrobe. You'll be like, "Whoa, wow." <laughs> We've got a little bit of um, the Misfits in there. We've got Jim in there and some of the um, other, like, band players. Like, we've got some, like, their wardrobe top. We even have, like, a um, – it's a – it's a – I'll call it rainbow, but it's just really colorful. It's a zebra print that's, like, pink, white, green, and orange, uh, the top, and then the, um, um, the leggings with it. And we have, like, a – 
uh, leather jacket that's going over it, big curly hair, skin tight, um, you know, belly button showing. So lots of jewelry, lots of like, um, lots of things around the wrist. Um, like a lot of like jewelry, like around the waist, you know, so going for that, that look. <laughs> yeah, they, the back in the eighties, they love that waist jewelry, that, that whole yes. belt like jewelry, lots of wristbands, lots of bracelets. Uh, we are doing like a little bit like I love Slumber Party Massacre too, and I love the villain in that, <laughs> the drilly killer in that one. So um that's what my character is gonna be trying to bring out. But we were gonna have it really like you saw the wig, but mm -hmm. um I thought, you know, I'm sh pretty sure you've heard about Tennessee lately mm -hmm. doing the love against drag and everything. I've never done drag, but I absolutely support it. And I have a lot of friends who do it. And I thought, you know, in my support for it, um, I kind of want to do an homage to drag uh, just with the demon and with the rock and roll look um, only because that's just me showing my support to the LGBT community for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, kind of sucks because uh um i am uh friends and i've i've interviewed uh eulogy uh horror host out of tennessee and they can't be in their character mm -mm. outside of like their studio or a bar and i'm like that's they also have to have a permit now to do it that's to perform garbage but then like you look at like okay let's talk about that for a second like you go to Twin Peaks, you go to Hooters, and you take your kids there, and that's not adult. Like, it's it's just, it's it's so pinpointing. And I literally was watching a video the other day. Um, this guy was talking about his, his area for a good hot minute um, and talking about banging this girl and all this. But yet, there was like 14-year-olds. There was kids out in the audience why is that you know we have drag story time to teach people about acceptance we have drag queens doing um fundraisers to help uh schools have enough funds to protect our kids from firearms we have um you know we have all this going with the drag community that's trying to give back to the community it's not you know there's no one like their thing like on tv was that oh we, it's it's to be child abuse for a kid to put money in a drag queen's like underwear. First off, there's no kid at a drag show. You know what I'm saying? There's mm -hmm. no kid at a drag show. You have to be 18. Um, but it's you know you have the adult drag, and then you have like the friendly, family friendly drag. And I think that they did a lot of good for um, our community, and that they're still doing a lot of good for the community. So it's like why pinpoint? You know, so that's kind of like where I'm going with the demon in this uh, Scream Dream, uh, just because that's me showing my support to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm also, I, two, two of my friends, I, I, I haven't seen them in a few years just because, you know, time and distance and stuff is, but they used to do drag shows. Um, and we'd go there with them and yes if you were there at the club completely different beast than what it is is if they were outside doing anything yeah. you know and uh it's just trip. a comedy show i yeah, mean come on it is. Up with it <laughs> yeah 
like I said, it's 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 when it comes down to it, just uh, what what people have the problem is, is that they find themselves attracted to it, and they're like, oh, oh that's a guy. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the problem. Mm, they're like, mm, that's hot. Oh, okay. Sounds like a personal problem. So, <laughs> what yeah. was my one of my favorite things was uh, if you have a problem, if uh, if gay marriage is a problem in your marriage, then one of you is gay. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly true. And like, honestly, you know, I I am a gay director. Um, when I've ever had like a friend, like growing up in Tennessee, because growing up in Tennessee is really different than growing up elsewhere because we're in the Bible belt. There's things you do. There's things you don't do. There's things that you talk about and don't talk about. But uh, every time I had like my best friends, any of my best friends, every time they dated someone, they just had such a problem with me. And then like when it was like one-on-one and my friend wasn't there, they'd hit on you. And I'm like, that's why you have a problem with it is because you are, you know, and I'm not saying this with everybody, but like, it's, it's not, it's unfair. You know, it's, it's, you shouldn't try to attack a group of people just because you have feelings a certain way yourself. So. And uh, it's, well, it's, it's one of the things is that, that my wife had to point out to me because I was, ignorant to the to to a lot of stuff when i was younger and Mm -hmm. um because i was like oh gay marriage whatever i don't i don't whatever and she looked at me one day and she goes she goes what do they want they're like you know it's marriage you know between a man and a woman she goes what do they keep putting in there she goes in the eyes of god i was like yeah she goes are you religious i went no she goes am i religious i went no she goes so they can claim our marriage doesn't count for nothing because we're not you know, I'm an atheist and she's a pagan. So, and she, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I was like, so I'm also one of them people who, when you find somebody you fall in love with, that's one, that's hard to do. Yeah. It's, and to, to have them love you back is even harder. And I don't think it should matter if who it is, you know, if you guys are all consent, you know, and everybody's like, oh, I'm like, if you're adults and you find somebody you fall in love with, find somebody you fall in love with, if you're, you know, whatever. I've always wanted to say this. <clears throat> so I'm, I got my, my time to say this. Um, I am religious, but I don't push it on people. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm a Christian, not a church going Christian. Big difference. Yeah. But I will say this. If you are a Christian and you are against LGBT, let's look at what your God hung out with in his own Bible. He hung out with the sinners. He hung out with the prostitutes, the homosexuals. He hung out with everybody. Why? He accepted them and he taught them how to grow Mm -hmm. in life. But that is, you know, that's from their standpoint. But also he told us not to judge. So that's one thing. So I don't judge others. But then also he gives us tests throughout our life. So the test for these people who are religious is, are you failing or are you passing whenever you're attacking the group of people? You should love, you should respect and have Mm -hmm. judgment free. And that is what your God and that's, you know, what you say he's about, but yet you don't practice what you preach. So I love throwing that back in some people's faces. <laughs> Believe me, I, um, years ago, I worked at a place and, uh, um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not religious, but yeah, I'm very much is that I've, I've raised money for people 
who like lost their leg to cancer. So we helped raise them, get it, get a leg. Um, I've donated to uh, food banks to, to all this stuff over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sitting in their break room. And I didn't know this until it came back to me later. I was in a break room reading a book and I don't even know what I was reading, but it was probably something horror book or something. And um, uh, a guy I knew Terry was in there and, and they, I left and they were saying, Oh man, what is he reading? That's just, you know, that's wrong. You know? And I'm like, didn't know it. And he goes, you know, you make fun of Paul, right? And they're like, well, you know, he's, he's, you know, this, and they're like, you know, that he does all this stuff and he starts listing off everything that we were doing at the time that I still do. And he goes, so he's being a better Christian as an atheist than you are as a Christian. <laughs> and it's, it, it is the truth. And I, I hope that, like, you know, people, they realize the difference between that, being a Christian and then, like, the church going Christian that, you know, and, I, and that's, that's vague. But, like, um, when I say that is there are people who actually – are following the religion and there's people who's not following the religion. Yeah. They just say that they're Christian, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So they, they want it so they can make themselves f- seem better. And yeah. use that as a, as a crutch. And uh, that's, that's kind of where I, how I ended up the way I am is because I've seen so many people that were hypocrites being yeah. you know, religious. And then I'm sitting back here going, you know, you've, you know, kicked out your, you know, own kid you know because you know you didn't like who they were with or you know you treated your neighbor because you know or you're you know i hate to say it, you're, you're just out and out racist and you're using the bible to to to, to justify your racism yeah and you're just like man really i don't see it and as i tell people it's like people go well you don't dislike people it's like oh i just like a lot of people but i dislike them on a personal basis not because of their- <laughs> yeah I try to, um, like, and some people will probably crucify me for saying this, but when I look at people, I don't see color. I don't see um, religion. I don't see anything except for that person and that they should be treated with respect. And that's the way that I've always lived by. And I like to stay blind that way. And some people be like, well, like, you're blind to color. But, you know, when I say that, I'm just saying, like, I don't see a difference in in people so that's kind of like what um uh you know they all have their background of where they came from Mm -hmm. but that doesn't justify anything about who they are they're still a human being and deserve to be treated right exactly i am a uh i like i said you got to learn to to know people on a one-on-one basis and it's you know people go oh well you're i had to make it i was like man i was like i got cousins i can't stand and i got (laughs) And my and my best friend, uh, I got called racist because of my last name one time, and um, I was like, one, I was like, my best friend is mixed. One of my other friends that I I call my brother, he he's black, and I was like, I had other friends that were gay, and everything else. I'm like, I was like, I, I'm either a the worst racist ever, or <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, now I can't remember where I was. Um, oh, okay, so. Um, I was going to ask you now, how do you feel? Do you feel that you're just a filmmaker or do you feel, you know, that, you know, you're a gay male uh, uh, filmmaker or do you just not want that, that you're just a filmmaker? I'm just a filmmaker. Um, 
I mean, I just happen to be a gay filmmaker. Um, so I do have a lot of people who are asking me, like, well, why aren't you doing, like, more, you know, like, gay content or, you know, and I think with my other films that I've done, I think that I got really tired of it really fast. Like, it was more stereotypical. Um, I was uh, in a film called Truly Madly, which is streaming on Tubi right now um, and Freebie. And um, it was a grindhouse film. It, um, that they did hours and hours and hundreds of hours of editing to make it look grindhouse. And I think they did a really good job. Um, and I'm really proud of the role. Um, but I, I remember feeling like I don't want to be cast like this all the time, you know. And then um, I got cast in another film that was a, a gay slasher film. And again, I had that in my stomach. Like I was like, oh, I don't want to be cast as this, but I'm going to do it, you know. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's not that I'm against it. It's just... Um, I would rather be able to play other roles, which I have. And I think that um, that's kind of where, like, I don't want to be, like, a uh, top cast, you know? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, because at a certain point, people would just be like, oh, he's, he, you know, he's the, he's the gay actor. You know, we could, you could put him yeah. in. Yeah. And then you end up being, you know, the best friend. And <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, really, Vince. Shh. So it, it's it's one of the ones where you you see, um, and and I, I don't I, I do not take this in any way, shape, or form. Negatively. Mm -hmm. It's not meant, to, uh, but I've noticed a lot of gay filmmakers that do um, horror or whatever. They tend to put a lot of strong females. Um, mm -hmm. And and um, like that as much, yeah. And uh, it's, I'll tell you why here in a second. <laughs> well, we have the ongoing joke. My my wife's had, had uh, words, and my wife's you know endowed well. And um, we always have the ongoing joke that her 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 gay friends were always like fascinated with her boobs. And <laughs> 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 and I was like, "Is that a thing?" And then I found out, evidently, is is it a thing? And like, kind of is. I, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> my thing with like the strong females is, um, I'm all for strong females. Yeah. But what happens is, is they tend to weaken male characters, um, and that was something that I'm really big on, like with uh, male portrayal, especially in the indie community women get paid more than men um and, and and i know it used to be vice versa back in the day like in hollywood men got paid more and i'm not saying that that needs to be a thing i think everybody should be paid equally or if they have like a rate they need to be met um i think it's i think it's good to show a strong female character but i'm tired of the the women who always live constantly like you you know how the film's going to end you know that she's going to make it everyone else is going to be dead what's the point in watching it so i think it's good sometimes to shock the audience with that i tried to do that and did the dealings a bit um because of that very reason um 
for me, um, when I was on Savage, which I wanted to show you this, it is available from Sub Rosa, by the way. Has Tamara Glenn on the cover from Terrifier 2 and Halloween 5. Um, but that was something that we talked about. Just for example, it is a rape and revenge film. Savage Vengeance is. It's a remake. Uh, it was the unofficial sequel to Asp on Your Grave. The original was. Um, and it had Camille Keaton in it as well. But um, we had Mel Rape in the film. Um, because so often every, I call it R&R, Rape and Revenge, R&R film, mm-hmm. is, um, shows a woman being brutalized and beaten and everything, but you never see it from a male perspective. And when you bring it up in filmmaking, which I have with a lot of uh, friends, because there's been, there was a script at one time, I know my other friend has a script for um, a Rape and Revenge type film that includes a man, Honestly, what happens is, is people will come to you and, and it's not a bad thing. They're being very honest and they're being truthful and it is the truth, but they're like, oh, like people are going to take it in a laughable way. And that's a sad thing about it is that there's a lot of issues and stuff that could be, could be brought to the attention in indie horror filmmaking. Um, such as male violence that happens that happens to men, because I know tons. I, I know more men who have been sexually assaulted than women, and um, just me personally. And they never tell anybody because it's looked down upon. Now, <clears throat> I've been open and honest about this on social media. Um, because I had to at one point, but um, over 10 years ago, I was assaulted by a man in the military and I was hospitalized and um, people treated me like absolute dirt. I'm talking like in real life, people are treating me bad. People were making fun of it on social media. Um, and I was like, you know, it was just because I was a man but I even had somebody who's like, well, it only happens to women. And I'm like, oh, no, it doesn't, sir. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, I think that it's important to, you know, you want a strong female character, but you want a strong cast yeah. at the end of the day. You don't want um, the same characters from every other movie. You want to create them. You want to make them strong. You want them to have valuable purpose in the story, not just to be the the geeky kid or like I, I take scream for example you know uh the ditzy friend that rose mcgowan kind of played um then you have like the the movie store guy who mm-hmm. was all about the movies and really geeky and i feel like wes craven was kind of like playing with that you know um saying like okay i'm gonna put it in here but they have valuable purpose in the film when you take the valuable purpose, like you take the whole screen, like the original screen story out of it, and you just have those characters, it's very stereotypical and they're not really strong mm-hmm. anymore without the story. Yeah. So a lot of times you get that in, in a lot of films that um, you have those stereotypes and it's always the same stereotype. You have the overly sexualized jock who is just being a dick mm-hmm. to everyone mm-hmm. and it's like, why like you could have made him a great guy that way he does die people yeah. care when he does 
and it's more impactful, more emotional. So when people say, like, you go for the strong female, I'm like, no, we go for the strong cast. We go for the strong cast all the way around. Everybody needs to have that strong focal point. That way, whenever something happens, it's emotional, it hits harder, or it's unexpected and more shocked. Hush, go lay down. Go lay down. No. Seriously, dog? No. I'm not letting you outside again. Go. Go lay down. <laughs> Seriously, dog? You're being horrible. Why are you being so horrible tonight? My dogs do that to me. They're probably picking up the vibes. <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 the, the little one is jealous of the big one because the big one's getting attention. And the big, <laughs> and then if I pay attention to the little one, then the big one will get jealous. Yes. No. Go lay down. Seriously. Oh, my God, dog. Okay. Go. Go. No, go. You're not going outside. <laughs> you were just outside. Mine, I was barking. Yeah. Horrible tonight. This whole day's <laughs> been weird. This Since I got up this morning, it's been weird. And uh, this is one of them things. Um, you know, you, you talk about making films and uh, dealing with cast and stuff like that and going on certain things that you want to change the whole, you know, curve. Like mm -hmm. you always have the final girl or whatever. Yeah. I wrote a script and the, 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 the whole joke of the whole thing at the very end is that you think that the two guys are going to die and the girl's going to be the one that lives. And instead mm -hmm. it's the two best friends, the two guys who survive everything. And the girl gets killed at the end. And it's yeah. like these, just these two guys that live through hell who are just best friends. And at the end, they're just like, Oh, Okay, that happened, and then, <laughs> and you, it's it's something that you don't see much because there is that formula that works for everything that that's just kind of the 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 true and and um, you know that everybody just goes with you know, and I, I don't think that everybody should go with it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always point out to people is like, let's look at the Friday the Thirteenth series, like the whole franchise as a whole. Mm -hmm. When a woman dies, how do they die? It's usually really elaborate. It's really sexualized sometimes. Mm -hmm. When a guy dies, he just dies. You know, like it's quick, it's easy, it's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, it needs to change. Like it needs to have both both sexes need to be portrayed that way. But um, and that's kind of like you know why I've done some of the films that I've done, um, and I think. Um, I'm really proud of the even the extreme films that I've done, um, which they will be available very, very soon, I know. Um, but they um, it had a strong it had strong death scenes in them that was like, okay, I was like, oh, this is let me use my acting abilities in this because I can. I love to die on, on screen. I give it my all. I'll lose my voice for two weeks, screaming my head off. But, um, and I did that with, uh, with Savage, Savage Vengeance. Um, funny story was I was supposed to go film that for a few days and then go and it was like a two week process and then stay up in Louisville and finish Truly Madly. 
And by the time I got on set of Truly Madly, I had completely lost my voice from Savage Vengeance because I had to scream for four hours. Oh. And um, I think that the sexual sexuality part for men is important because so much often is women put on this pedestal that they have to be sexy, they to beautifully show all the nudity, they do all the hard work in the film. And what I did, um, which really madly savage vengeance, um, a little bit in reunion, not much, but um, I showed the vulnerable side of men and I did a uh, full nudity in some of those films. And um, I, uh, you know, it's, is it supposed to be sexy in, in one of them? Yes, it's supposed to be like really sexualized. The other one is supposed to be really violent. And um, the other one, it was just in, implied. So I think by adding that in there, it's changing up a little bit. And I think that even like Hollywood is trying to do that a little bit more as well. Um, but I think that um, I did it because A, nobody else would. And B, um, I think that it's just important to set those boundaries that it should be men and women who have to show, not just women. Yeah. It, you know, I, I do think it's it's kind of unfair <clears throat> in horror because the, the guys don't survive. And, you know... Never. Never. And, you know, I just, I just think that's dumb because it, it's... If you put people in a situation, you're gonna. Yeah, the, the there's always you know cabin at least cabin in the woods. You had the two, the stoner that everybody thought was going to get killed off, is one of the survivors. You know he. Yeah. But it's it's not often, and um, it's. I guess it goes way back, but they, you get those movies like uh, um, Alien, that was filmed and. Oh, that's why all of them are uh, basically like gender neutral names because there was no male female when they scripted the the, the movie. That's why it was. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, uh, although I'm I'm legitimately I've done I've scripted a movie I want to do I still want to do it. It's a it's a, a rape revenge film called Snow Angels that I mm -hmm. wanted to do, and then I realized how big of a pain in the ass it is to shoot in the snow. And <laughs> um, I got, I got, I did one called "A Good Woman Is Hard." A hard woman is good to find, and um, it's the you know the silent guy that's in like a you know the the, the it's a woman. It's the silent former military. You don't even know it. You, she doesn't talk through the entire movie. I just want a woman with a scar. You see like military stuff in the house, and she just ends up protecting these people, and that's you never it could have been anybody and it ends up being a woman at the end um and then i did my ones where the two guys are the last ones left alive <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hey like i feel like that's a that's a good thing and i feel like anyone who has the passion to write that definitely has to make that and go with it jump off i tell everybody jump off the cliff and just do it well, so whatever you've not done do it my only problem with going back to Snow Angels was uh, when I wrote that, I was in a horrible place, like in my mind and in, with my marriage and everything else like that. And uh, now I'm not in that 
mindset anymore. So it's really been hard to go back to that one to do any rewrites on it because I'm just not in that place anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. When I did Deadly Dealings, uh, do you remember the therapy scene? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All they originally everyone told a story and um they went around the room and each individual story was something that happened to me in my life. That's crazy. That's that's really so, putting yourself out there. The ones that happened except for Ronnie Jonas, because that was just that was There you are. I still got you back, I think. Oh. Yeah, you're, you're moving. You're yeah, talking. there we go. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're really putting yourself out there with that, doing that, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. It felt like when I did it, it was really, I felt really exposed. Um, the cast was crying on set, of course. And I'm just like, no, 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 yeah, no don't cry. Please don't cry. Like, Please don't. Like, I'm trying to make the movie here. Yeah. But, like, uh, um, I just thought it was important. Um, Haiti um, story. That was really important. Yeah. Well, it's... Yeah. It's, it's good for... It's, you know, cathartic to get that stuff out there sometimes to be able to, like... Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... Now... I got, I got to ask, and, and because I, I'm legitimately, um, I talked to somebody else on another interview, and we, we've talked about dreams and stuff with, with you know, Scream Dreams and then with Deadly Dealings. Um, do you ever take anything from your dreams and uh, put it in film? Try to try to get it in there? Yes. That was 100% Deadly Dealings. 100%. Now, I, so you've had the horrifying dreams where people just come at you with chainsaws <laughs> in your bedroom. I, I didn't give want to give nothing away. You're kind of just a little bit. Oh yeah, we, we keep getting chopped okay. here. It's I don't know. Ho hopefully, this will it's not okay. be a problem I next week. Um, because like I said, I've been I've been I, I was always one of the people I I don't sleep right at all. Um. And mm -hmm. so I don't dream or I, I don't remember it much. Um, but I did a, a interview with a, um, a guy goes by the name Dr. Zombo. And he does a, uh, he, me and him getting this really deep philosophical stuff about dreams and parallel dimensions and stuff like that. And um, I, because of what he did, he taught me some stuff. And I've been able to like kind of interact with my dreams a lot better since then. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a, a very vivid dream going into a video store and finding a VHS tape of a movie. And that movie does not exist in the real world. So I have begun to write a script for this movie that I found in my dreams. <laughs> and uh, No, I think that that's absolutely wonderful. It's... It's so funny because now I'm talking to an actress friend of mine. I'm like, I'm telling her, I'm like, so I have this in my head. So I want to do this because it's on the back cover of a videotape that doesn't exist. So uh, it's one of them chaotic things. And I have, it's always gone. 
had a very lucid dream the other night that was Batman, and I never watched the Batman. Like I've watched some Batman, you know, like growing up, I watched the the animated version, but it was about the Joker and about how he was passing on his legacy to someone else, and um, he like had created like this like this um, place where where they were at, but like they were. If they didn't fit the criteria of being the Joker, they would just disappear. They would just like obliterate and just disappear from what they were in. And at the end, um, it was it was kind of kind of like sexual, but it was not sexual at the time. Like it made like a lot of sense in my head. But like he, uh, the Joker, um, um, he was always is. Everybody's always talked about how he was gay or, you know, he has this thing for Batman, but instead like he takes a liking to the guy who survives it. And with a kiss, he literally handed over, he turned him into the Joker. And that was how he is able to like pass on the legacy of the Joker um, to him. So it was just a really weird dream. Like, I don't know why I was dreaming that. <laughs> I have no idea, but it's been really lucid dreaming since um i've been working a lot and having no sleep during the week so it's, it's kind of hard to make movies you're still you're still working as a barista and all that fun stuff all, all still going 100 miles an hour no actually i quit being a barista um about six Six years ago, no. um, I moved to us. Uh, I was working for a security company for about five years, and then I quit that. And now I am working at FedEx, which is very physical, very very physical. And I also work at Krispy Kreme, which that was probably the most amazing job I've ever had working at Krispy Kreme. It's just really relaxing. It's like management's not like over you all the time. Um, it's really like you work at your own leisure and I don't work with customers. I just work with, um, uh, I just, I just decorate donuts, which is, uh, I've been having a lot of dreams about donuts. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I love Krispy Kreme. So you work at your leisure. I'd I'd be I'd be nine hundred pounds walking out of there because I love Krispy Kreme. <laughs> well, it it is really hard some days. Like I see one, I'm just like, oh, I gotta have it. But the good thing is, is that a I'm on Fentramine for weight loss. I'll always do it before every single roll that I take. Um, but then also, um, you get to eat like unlimited donuts, whatever you want. Um, and you get like a free, um, dozen like every week. Um, so yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I, <laughs> I love Krispy Kreme and it's just a fun environment. See, that, that's what I like when you, when you find a job that you enjoy, even if it's a dumb little, you know, I, I don't, don't take it wrong. Even if it's a little job that, you know, it's great. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, uh, the comic book guy. Yeah, that's my job, and I sell video games and comic books and magic mm -hmm. cards to people. Um, but no, I I had to uh, a couple years back. Oh, I went from a really 
demanding job where I was going 100 miles an hour. I worked in a printing company and there'd be nights when it'd be 115 degrees in the middle of the night, sweat, losing five to 10 pounds a night. And then I went to doing that to working at my shop. So I sort of started gaining weight and I'm like, man. And then I decided when he was little, I couldn't keep up with him because I'd gained so much weight. And I was like, uh, I'm trying to run after a kid and I can't because I'm worn out and I'm tired. So I started going to the gym because yeah. my wife wanted me to go to the gym, wanted me to go to the gym with her. And then I just started going by myself. And then I lost a ton mm. of weight. And FedEx says that to me. <laughs> went from uh 250 yeah. down to 175 so but hey that's that's amazing congratulations I, I i don't i don't eat hardly any junk food i don't eat after 10 o'clock at night i go to the gym multiple times a week and i kill myself Ugh. but i still do not take supplements and all that stuff because my buddies are like, Man, you can get jacked i'm like no i, I don't want to get jacked <laughs> <laughs> I um I used to be really 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 fit and uh really into working out. Um I used to have a trainer that I worked out with three times a day and I would do 15 miles a day by myself. And um I did cross country back in high school and it was I had a lot of pressure on me back in the day. Um by people around me and they didn't really realize that they were doing this, but I had a lot of pressure to be ultra super thin. So I was 150 pounds. Um, so, um, when, before I got into acting, um, I got, I was into modeling, which I absolutely hate. And I threw the biggest opportunity of my life away. Um, and there's been several opportunities come up since, but um, I got into an agency that was that was huge. I'm talking huge. And at the time, they had nobody um, that was blonde-haired and blue-eyed in their agency uh, that was in, in their local agency. So they take, um, they choose a, a model, and they go with them all the way for a, a year. It's, it's they call it model of the year. Mm -hmm. And um, you go and you record music uh, in a studio for album to see if you're going to be the next, you know, um, like the next star in music. Uh, you have to do commercials. You have to go to Korea. You have to go to New York. You have to go to Los Angeles. You have to, they give you flats to live in. They, you have a, a very strict diet. You have a dietitian. that they, they were really, really huge on that. And um, it just wasn't for me. Um, and I was a wild child back then. I was all over the place, all over the place, um, all over the States. Um, did, I was really carefree. Um, and I was just on the road a lot. Mm -hmm. So I uh, decided just to quit and um, I gave it up, but I think it was for the best. <laughs> well, you, what were you in your early 20s? Uh, yeah, I was around around twenty years old when that was happening. Yeah, that that's that's hard to give anybody. So now I'm thirty two, about to be thirty three. Give that much freedom. I know how I was in my early twenties. Man, if you'd have given Ooh. me out a house, I'd I'd be dead now. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I was that wild child that was at a party every single night, that was at the club every single night, that was 
out doing God knows what, driving on top of cars, car surfing down mountains and um, getting into trouble and doing a lot of like risque stuff. And um, I just was really, really, really wild and carefree. But luckily, I grew out of that. That's, you know, I think everyone has to go through that to um, to get out of their system. Oh, yeah. So, Well, if, if you don't, and uh, I've noticed this is a lot of people when they'll get older, they'll regress horribly and it's out of the blue, man. I'll be 50 years old, man. All of a sudden, uh, you know, they're they're dating an 18 year old, got a, a, you know, brand new car that they can't yeah. afford, spending money they don't have, trying to party and everything else like that. So, yeah, stop. Yeah, seriously. Sorry. <laughs> You're being a turd. Everybody needs a bunch of kids that don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, it was bad because because it took. I have I have four kids, and it took to the third one before I really calmed down. Because I I oh, yeah. oh man, I drank and partied and and oh yeah, <laughs> I can remember some of the wildest parties that we were drinking absinthe and just getting hammered and i i always made fun of people who mixed their drinks um or had mixed drinks because i believe that you should drink straight liquor and then you should chase it with a beer if you need a chaser so i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i i drank one is that that you know my whole drink was uh, uh, vodka, and I I loved my my Bloody Marys. I know that's a mixed drink, but right. I just drink them like water. And no uh, <laughs> then then I discovered Jaeger, and then I wasn't allowed to drink Jaeger because we have the ongoing joke that Jaeger is what Doctor Jekyll drank to turn into Mister Hyde. Oh yeah, because it was a light I switch. Would, I would drink. Like uh, two pints of Jaeger, and I'd mix it with wild turkey. And um, I would drink about two or three bottles of that a night. Um, but I think it came to a point where um, there I had literally went through my house and I had six trash bags of empty liquor bottles. And my parents were coming over, and I was like, okay, I really have an issue here so the partying was just absolutely balls to the wall crazy it was it was insane like we would we turned an entire six-story um college dorm uh with they all had patios we turned the entire dorm into a party and we all we took turns calling 911 to come pick up the people who passed out in the yard um so and it would last all night long. I'm talking like you would have drugs, alcohol, everything you think of laying right in front of you. But um, it was just, um, that was a wild, very, very wild. Like people still, people who who don't know me anymore but used to know me still refuse to accept the change. Um, where oh, yeah. I just, I'm like, I sit at home, I have my dogs, watch TV drink coffee i don't even i haven't had a sip of alcohol in i don't know when um but i don't drink anymore i don't i don't do anything i'm like that i just like staying at home i haven't been out i haven't been on vacation in years 
Um, I haven't done anything in years. I just do solid work on film. And a lot of people don't realize that or, or want to understand it. Um, they think like I, if I run into like a high school buddy or something, they just think automatically, like, Oh, like, are you still partying this? And I'm like, no, I don't do that. <laughs> so I, I still got people I've been, I drank almost nine years ago was the last time I had a drink. And That's I good. still have people like that I used to drink with. And they're like, well, what do you do now? I'm like, there's so much more to do. Yeah. Like, um, and I think, you know, like there's a lot of people in in the community, like the the indie horror community that I, I see that just drink so much or party a lot, and you know it's not a bad thing, but it does catch up with you. And like for me, um, I developed Nash, which is a liver disease, and I'm in steatosis um, stage uh, where my liver is damaged really bad. So it causes pancreatitis nonstop. I had pancreatitis flare up for four years without stopping. And that was just insane um, until they figured out what it was. So I, I can't eat certain foods. I can't drink certain drinks, which I got to do a little bit better about it. But um, I can't have like any seasons, any salt, any butter, any milk, any yogurt, any chocolate, any sugar, um, any breads, any starches. I'm supposed to eat like lean vegetables and fish only for the rest of my life. So, um, it, you know, the consequences of that is, you know, so it can be pretty hefty for somebody because if you don't do that, then you could die. Um, but I think, you know, I channeled my creativity into filmmaking and I think, you know, that was the big change for me because Kind of going back to the Deadly Dealings therapy scene that Douglas did the monologue for, um, that was kind of a really rough patch in my life. Um, I was working in Haiti, and um, I was uh, doing, I'm not going to say relief work, I was a medical person that worked down there, and I had the option to go down there and stay and live. You made no money, but the people provided you with housing and clothes and food. And um, I worked in orphanages with a lot of uh, people who were who were just orphaned because it was. I was down there during like during the time of the earthquake mm-hmm. uh, back. I want to say it was like what like twelve years ago now. Yeah. Um, so um, it was, you know. Like, you go and you go do something like that and you come back to the States, you know, like, you're seeing dead bodies everywhere. You're pulling people out of rubble. You're, you know, it's, it's you're seeing people that's in, so in shock that they just sit down and they don't move until they die. Wow. That was, that was what I was exposed to at a young age uh, when I was down there. And the, the thing it was is that it affected me really strongly. Um, while I was down there, um, there was 17 men, which, by, by the way, Haiti is a really odd country to begin with. Lots of voodoo, but a lot of those people have never seen a white person. No. They never seen, never seen, like, it's just, they live in an area that they don't get a lot of visitors and they just never seen it. So you had to cut your hair off because they had to rip your hair out. They wanted to grab at your skin, fill your skin and fill your hair. They... You know, but the um, trafficking is horrible. Like, you was watching it on the side of the road. And um, what happened was 
one of the buildings that fell in, we were, we were had shovels and um, we were shoveling the rock from the building to create a platform. Cause that was what everybody was doing was taking the, the rubble and trying to push it aside so they could have a platform to put tents up. Mm-hmm. So what was happening was um, there was 17 men who were trying to abduct me into sex slavery and human trafficking. And I was able to get away. Um, one of the ladies that was working with us overheard what they were doing. And they kept coming up to me, trying to get me to go around this corner where they were trying to abduct me. And I was like, no, like, uh, I don't feel really comfortable. Like one guy, his throat was sliced from ear to ear. And it was just a big um, scar. And he was having trouble talking to me anyway, which um, I think it's called like half French and half quail what they speak. So it was really hard to understand. Um, but um, that was one thing. And then I got into a huge riot. I was on a bus full of equipment and we had a driver who pulled out a cracker and the cracker was just something he was just eating out of his pocket. Well, you pull that out in like a third world country, you're making a gigantic mistake, even though he was from there he made a huge mistake. So they, over a hundred people thought that we had food. And what happened was, um, was like a horror film. Those hundred people were busting to the windows of the bus. They had pitchforks, they had machetes, they had machine guns, and they were after me. Um, they wanted to tear me apart trying to get to the food. So I was having to go to every window and push everyone out by hand and um they had machetes in there just waving them at me and uh, there was one guy he had no arms he had his legs and arms were cut off and he had gangrene so he shoved a wood pole in both arms and he shoved a wood pole in both legs and he was walking it looked like almost like a giraffe you know what i'm saying because mm-hmm. he was walking on them and he was throwing himself up against the door and i just remember like it was so eaten up with gangrene that no blood was anywhere. Like he was just ate up with it. And, um, it was, it was a very scary, horrific time in my life to be in Haiti and, um, and dealing that that's just a couple of occurrences. Like we're talking, like I was down there and every day something was happening multiple times a day. Um, buildings had fell and thousands and thousands of people were stuck in the rubble and it killed them. Um, the one instance that I finally broke was the child, uh, that that's in deadly dealings that we talk about. Um, he, um, we went to the, this area near the ocean and, um, they just said, just go in and do what you can do. Like these are people who are basically terminal who are going to die. They had them separated. Um, so we went down there, and I'm going to get to something about the American Red Cross here in a second. Don't let me forget. But um, we went down there, and I had – it was awful. It was uh, horrific. I was I was absolutely scarred. I was trying every ounce to hold back tears because they all said, if you cry, you will not stop. Do not cry. They would have military get up in your face. You do not cry when you're down here and I was just like, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying holding back the tears. So 
this child, his whole family got killed in the earthquake. They got the, um, what happened was when they were on the mountain, uh, the mountain, the, when it shook the mountain, all the houses came down with the people. So they were getting trampled by rock, other people and everything. And what was happening was this little kid, I want to say he was like probably four years old. He got um, hit and it crushed all his vital organs. So he was still alive. His um, And I, I found him laying on a piece of cardboard and he was with nobody. And um, they just said um, he, all his organs are, 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 are exploded. Like he's not going to make it. But I was really surprised that nobody had went over there and sat with him. So they all left and I went over there and I just, you know, put in my lap and I held him for a while. And um, I was just like screaming out. I was so angry at, at the situation. But um, he passed away in my arms and um, I just left him, had to leave him there on the cardboard. But as soon as I turned around, a little girl that was watching fell over dead this watching so then it was like a double whammy so i get back to the truck and when you get in the truck and you drive off you have all these little kids who are following you with empty water bottles wanting water and then they have machetes so they're trying to cut you they're trying to get in the truck and you're just driving off and you feel so bad because the dust is hitting them in the face but you can't stop because it's your life on the line mm -hmm. but i just absolutely screamed at the top of my lungs and just lost it lost it and that was one of the biggest meltdowns i think i've ever had in my entire life and they were right i didn't stop crying for the entire day until i fell asleep and then there was a huge earthquake that night that split our house in half and you could hear it um through the village uh, the village is way on down like miles away you could just hear people screaming all of a sudden and the animals were going crazy and then when the, as the earthquake got closer and closer and closer, and then it came to you, like it just knocked us down. It was so strong and it cut the building in half. Um, people were, people died in it. Um, but it was, it was absolutely catastrophic. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were dead and they were just lying on the side of the road. Wow. So, I needed a way to be able to channel creativity because when I got back to the States, I had PTSD. I had PTSD from that. So from there, I tried modeling. Modeling didn't work. And then I um, got into like a shitty relationship. So that ended really horribly. Then I got attacked, um, which I told you about. And then... I was like, okay, something, I need to do something creative and something fun for myself. So I started doing film and that's how I got into the film industry because when I met Dale, Dale Dickey at the Starbucks, uh, she was, um, she kind of led me where I needed to go and I was like, let me try this. And so far I've channeled it all. I've gotten rid of the PTSD. I don't even have it anymore. Um, but I was able to, like, I can talk about everything as if, and it, and it feels like it didn't happen, but it did. And uh, before before I forget, Dale Dickey from uh, My Name is Earl, as mm -hmm. the, uh, was it the daytime prostitute, night or the day, nighttime, whatever. 
Oh, she's amazing. She's in some really good, good stuff, like Hollywood budgets. Yeah, I, I watched her in a movie the other day, and I can't remember what the hell I watched. But she's like, Wait, she was Jennifer Lawrence. Do what? She was in a movie with Jennifer Lawrence called Winter's Bone. No, I, I, I've seen that a long time ago, but no, I just saw one recently where she was a cop. Hmm. Oh, interesting. I know she does like the Sorted Live series, which is hilarious. Um, and um, she was in, I think, the Marvel films, a few of the Marvel films as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what movie she was in. Hail Dickie. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was in Hail yeah, High Water. Nothing yeah, she was in Iron Man 3. Yeah. Oh, the right one in the series. Oh, yeah, I just watched her in a League of, Our, uh, League of Their Own. Just watched that yeah. one. Nothing yeah. beats her performance or the series called Claws. If you haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. I'm totally inspired. Um, by Claws, hands down the most hilarious show I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I've seen so. I seen was that was on FX, wasn't it? It was on TNT, TNT. and then they moved it to Hulu. And um, it's about women who launder money for the Dixie Mafia through their nail salon. <laughs> And it's just so funny. Like, it's totally my life. Like, it's like the Golden Girls um, of today, just laundering money and, like, moving all these drugs around for Mafia. It's just hilarious. That's funny. Hilarious. Yeah. But. Now, if you ever a chance, would you put Dale in, in any of your movies? Oh, God, yes. I would love to work with Dale. I wish I could tell her. I haven't seen her in years. But I wish I could tell her everything that she did for me um, because um, she really, really got me going and really got me in the industry uh, because I went to um, I went to Gage Talent Agency, which she told me to go to, and they have an acting program. I think it was like twelve hundred dollars. Um, if you had no experience in acting whatsoever, so you didn't have to go to a school, you actually had a, an acting coach and it was for two years every week. Um, and you could, uh, well, it's for the program was for a year and you could keep going for a year longer, um, just to refresh yourself, but they taught you everything. I'm talking, they went over contracts, they went over safe sets, um, how to do sex scenes and how they need to be shot. Um, they go over improv, they go over different methods. They go again, over contracts, <laughs> go through the contracts to find print. Um, they teach you how to do proper auditions, which that is something massive to me. I hate, hate, hate when someone sends me a amateur audition tape. That is something that it makes me livid because yeah. you should be more professional, even if it's not exactly the way it needs to be done. It needs to be more professional than what I've seen come out on some people's auditions. And, um, they teach you everything and you have the chance to sign with them or not sign. And she told me that she did independent acting. She's not signed with a company and look at what she's doing. I mean, she's an Iron Man three, like, you know, so I, um, I decided to do independent acting, but I only wanted to do horror. That was the genre that I really liked. So, um, I met Donald farmer and I met, um, well, first I met, uh, I, I got into a film, that was part of uh, the Slumber Party Massacre 
sort is it's called the Massacre franchise because Summer Party Massacre and Sorority House Massacre, Children Massacre, Hard to Die, and all of them are a part of the same franchise. But they are unre- some of them are unrelated. It's just called the Massacre Collection. So there was supposed to be a new film. Uh, I know Jim Minorsky and another director was uh, working on it. And I got in the film and I was going to be able to work with Melissa Moore. Um, I know Gail Thackeray, uh, which is some people know her as Robin Harris or Gail Harris from Sorority House Massacre 2. She was the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot what the other girl was. I think I, th- I think it was Debbie Dutch. I'm not sure. Um, but all of them were going to be in it. And it was like my dream role because I was going to get to work with them and have scenes with them. But it got canceled. So from there, I got onto Truly Madly. And Truly Madly was my first role, but it was also a lead role. And I remember the first thing that we shot was a nude scene. <laughs> so being on set for the very first time and then having to take your clothes off was just, you know, it was a little nerve wracking. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I did that film and I love that film and um, I'm really proud of it. Um, again, it's on Tubi, but, you know. Um, watch it if you if you want to. <laughs> but then um, I got uh, one of the films I was never allowed to rent as as a kid was Cannibal Hookers. And I was in my store, uh, video store, and my parents was always like, Ugh, every time they walk by, just because of the title, you know, you have Christian parents, and they're like, Ugh. and they didn't watch horror. Only, well, me and my dad did, but my mother, no. Um, but um, I got a uh, a message one day from Donald Farmer, and he was like, hey, I'm doing a film. Uh, it's a remake of Cannibal Hookers. Would you want to be in it? And I was like, yes. So we did Cannibal Hookers. And um, I was I, I networked a lot on that film and helped out a lot on back sets and stuff like that when we were there. Um, and that's where I met like Joe Castellane, Ronnie George, Jessa Flux, uh, Cassia Rose, and Casper um melted hair i believe was is her name um but i met a lot of people and started networking and then next thing you know like how many movies am i in with jessa and donald and ronnie because ronnie was in that film too and then i was in uh, several films with joe casterline and ronnie uh george so um from there i got cast into savage savage vengeance and savage was um it was it was fun but it was interesting being fully nude outside and then like having to go in and and do the scene that i did which is I, it's one of my favorite scenes i've ever done but um it, i worked with a uh, cat meredith and she's very talented y'all anybody who watches this needs to look her up super super talented girl um but we uh we stayed up all night in in our rooms and we we practiced and talked and went over everything over and over again and then had all these ideas and Jake Zell to the director really let us bring those ideas to screen. So it was just really fun and it was a great experience and he cooked for us, which was amazing. And um, from there, um, let's see, I got in Shark Exorcist 2, <laughs> um, Bigfoot Exorcist, which I have to say, I'm that movie when it comes out is hilarious it's probably going to be like the best donald farmer film that anyone has ever seen i absolutely loved 
Bigfoot extras. It's just, it's so funny. And um, from there, uh, after doing those, I did a film called Reunion from Hell, which I'm not too proud of, but I did line produce the hell out of it. And um, I didn't get any credit really for what I did or paid or they didn't really have permission to use my image. But aside from all that, um, I was really proud of the final product and working with Kathy Podwell, um, you know, from uh, Night of the Demons and Dallas. She's amazing. Um, and then from there, I got into the extreme films, um, like the gore films, you know, and uh, Jesse Seitz and uh, Marcus Cook. Yeah, Cook. We're doing, I, I believe... I'm not sure what role they did each on that. I just know that it was their project. I didn't meet them prior to it because what they did was they had an anthology and it was called Fucked, uh, F-U-K-T. And what we did was, um, or what they did, they had um, something about um, people were saying that women don't like extreme horror, which is completely untrue. You know, women love extreme horror. So they took um, all female directors and all the female directors directed a segment for this anthology. And it is gory as hell. And um, I worked with Dixie Gares on that, which she's Ethel and Crazy Fat Ethel. If um, anyone knows Criminally Insane or Crazy Fat Ethel, she was in the remake, which is out and available right now. And I've worked with Dixie a lot. And um, she helped me. Her and Steve were my production managers. Steve McGill, um, which is my, fi my fiance. And um, they worked as uh, production managers on Deadly Dealings. But um, so Dixie, um, I had no idea what, what I was in store for um, when I got on Fucked. But I have to say, I worked with Derek uh, Warily. Um, and he did the special effects. And that's where I met him. And I was just so like, wow. Because, I mean, we were in special effects, I think, for like four and a half hours. And I, I was drinking iced coffee and couldn't move. And I was like, oops, I shouldn't have drank that. But, um, you know, it was that fucked. Uh, when I watch that movie, it makes me want to take a shower. When I watch our segment, I don't have the full film yet. But I was able to like watch our segment and I was just like, whoa, whoa, like Dixie Gares, whoo, she got some stuff up her sleeve for the horror community. Um, wow, that's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to let her reap the benefit of that when it comes out because I don't want to get enough in the way on that. But then we did Secrets of the Witch, um, which is another extreme film that she did. And she's been winning a lot of awards through that and luckily i was um, like the lead guy in the film um and i was lead guy and fucked as well so i was i'm really thankful for letting you know dixie letting me be a part of that and i'm very 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 proud of those um even though um they're shorts like one's a segment for anthology one is a short um people are going to go berserk crazy when they see what she is capable of um, so aside from that, I did a documentary for, um, Hugh Gallagher from the, uh, Gore trilogy, uh, Gorotica, um, Gorgasm, Gore Horror, and, um, 
he has another film called Dead Silence out. But um, I worked on that with him. And then I did the found footage series, which is really fun. We filmed it here in the house on my phone, which is really, really, really interesting. Um, it was unlike anything I've ever really done before. And then I was a part of a trauma film called Curse of the Weird Ear that's coming out very, very soon. And Ben Johnson um, directed that. And he's working with me. He's going to be our cinematographer on Screen Dream. And he's also, I wrote the script of Screen Dream. And then I give it to him. And then he rewrites it and changes the wording. And then we go over it again. So we're really collaborating really well. And I've, I've enjoyed working with Ben a lot on Screen Dream. Cool. But um, Curse of the Weird Ear, wow. That set was huge. Like, it, I really felt like that was probably the biggest movie I've ever been a part of. There was like 40 people on set. Wow. Um, and uh, it was, I know he had to go to the town uh, hall to get like permission to film out in town. They had like Nadia Watt, uh, the wrestler and adult star who um, had a lead role in it as well. She was hilarious. And I, I just absolutely loved her in it. But um, they uh, had a uh, Baybet. Do you know who Baybet is? Uh, Drag queen. So. If you saw, if you saw um, Baybet, you'd be like, oh, okay, because oh. it, it, yeah, and um, very talented, very funny. It's going to blow people away when they see uh, "Curse the Weird Ear." It's just so in-your-face adult comedy that's just hilarious. Um, but yeah, so that's just a few of few of what I've done, and um, I just I really like the extreme films a lot. So I wanted to work with Jesse Seitz myself, so I got her to do special effects for Scream Dream, and working with her has been a blast. I think that I just love the way that she talks to like she's just so calm and collected and together, and. Um, that's why I went with her for special effects was I just really wanted to work with her after like um, the whole fucked project and um, just seeing Jacob's wife on shutter. She did special effects on that with Marcus. And um, I just was like, Oh, I just want to try out, you know, and I, I really want to work with her. And I think that that's all about, you know, branching out and meeting different people and, letting them into your circle and, and, and working with them and collaborating with them. It's been really fun in this, this go around because there's a lot of new fresh people that I'm working with. Cool. Now I got, I got to ask you, uh, cause I always put this at the end, toward the end. Um, what advice do you have for people wanting to get into the business? Jump off the cliff. That's honestly like you'll find yourself at a standstill where it's like, can I do this? Can I really do this? Can I really make a movie? You know? And and you you feel it in your gut. It's, you got butterflies in your stomach. You're like, can I do this? Yes. And if you need help with budget or anything, come to me. I got you covered where I can get you the budget. I can help you. Um, I... I have a full circle of friends 
um, people who specialize in Indiegogo, um, how to get those budgets, people who do special effects, people who do acting, um, I line produce, I can help with anything, but you're going to like, you get to that, you get to that edge. And I tell people to, um, just jump and don't care what the cost is. Don't care what, what it is that you feel like is holding you back, whether it be bills or whatever, let, let it go and just make it, do it, go out and do it. And that's basically what I had to do, you know? And, um, that's, uh, that's really important. And I think, I think that's why most people don't make their dream happen is they're at that cliff and they're not jumping. And I say jump because you'll free fall and it's going to be a, a grand time all the way down. Hey, so I, I'm hoping I got time. I'm hoping to either shoot a test reel to be able to mock up some sort of trailer to be able to get money for a project I want to work on that I've got an idea for. Come to me. I will, come to I will put you in connections with some of the right people that will seriously help you. Cool. It's uh, it, it's something I've been kicking around the idea for for years, and it's something I'm like, man, I think I can make that, and I can probably do it very cheaply. You can do it on a huge budget. Don't say small, because you can go for big budget and definitely get it. Well... A few years ago, I wrote a script and I, I pitched it to a couple people and I had a couple people who were interested and um, I had some other people and they're like, well, you know, what's your budget? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Well, what I'm like, I don't know any of this. All I know is that I can write and I'm really good at putting together scenes. Dialogue, I'm not great with because what what. I write down and then what I hear in my head is two vastly different things. <laughs> I just tell people when it comes to dialogue back and forth, um, I write a little bit, I stop and I envision the two people having the conversation and I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's the way I, I and then I turn it on where I can visualize them saying this while I'm writing and I don't even realize I'm writing. I'm just hearing it in my head and I'm just writing it down. Yeah. See, I, I ran into the issue where I wrote a scene with a father and a daughter and I, I only have kids, I only have sons. So for yeah. me, it's that weird, you know, I'm like, okay. So I wrote it as if I was talking to just one of my kids, except for, you know, instead of bud, I say, you know, honey or something like that. And people are like, Oh, let's, Exactly. I was like, no, that's exactly what I say to my kids. So that's what I wrote, even though it's a, you know, I would be, you know, well, I wrote it as a father talking to a daughter instead of a father talking to sons. So I don't know. I kind of yeah. run into that problem. Then I get in my own head too. So, which is the worst thing I can ever do in a million years. So I'm going to tell you one of the best things to, to do when writing and being creative. I go to Intimate Treasures, which is this adult store over um, here in Knoxville, and they have the strongest CBD gummies. <laughs> and it's 100 milligram per gummy. And um, I do them, and it literally turns that off. My Where I get in my head, it turns that off, and I get so absolutely creative, and it just yeah. doesn't stop. Mm. 
there you go. There you go. Get get some gummies going. Get you. Um, I use Note Note on my phone first, and then I like copy and paste it to Word, and then I go through and I like do the corrections and stuff. But like seriously, like do that. Find a movie that's inspirational. Put it on. Watch it. Do the gummy, and then go to your notepad and just start start writing and let it flow out of you. And even if you don't think it's perfect, um, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, and, so. and I'm not gonna lie, I, I'm slowly getting a nice fan base through my shows That's and good. stuff like that. And I'm thinking maybe I should parlay that into something else too, because yeah. doing what I currently do, I make no money off of it, and I don't really care because it's more for the uh, um, love of it than it is for the uh, uh, you know money aspect of it. Uh, I have yeah. a job. I have a store. That's where I make my money. So I'm not worried about that. But it, it's one of the ones where I, I get in my own head and I start like, oh, and then all of my friends, like I I, I got a, a friend who's an actress. And I kick her ideas to her all the time. She's like, that's a great idea. I'm like, I want to be part of that. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I got that person. So <laughs> I always tell people, um, as Brittany said, you better work, bitch. You know, that song, Work Bitch. But, I mean, honestly, think about it. Like, you know, you have this girl who went from a hometown Louisiana Southern girl to one of the being, being the biggest icons in the world. And it's true. Like, you got to work. You got to work. You got to work. And you got to put it in there. And you can't stop. And you got to let your dream just happen. It's when you get in your head that your dream stops. And that's why I say turn that off and work, bitch. Get it going. <laughs> I, I've, I've said this a million times over the years. I'm a, I'm a heavy metal guy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, rock guy. But I'll tell you what, who Britney Spears, between her and whoever puts her stuff together, are geniuses. Oh, my God, yes. That, the hooks, the music, it gets you and you're like, you can be sitting there most and you're like, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm it's like, like the the dancing. I used to dance, and I used to I knew every dance move that you could even think of. Like, especially I I, I remember like for my workout, I would do like three hours of "I'm a Slave for You," like the whole dance back in the day. But like, um, no, like I I feel like she totally she she nailed her dreams. But you know, it's sad that. They put her in a conservatorship, and she's out now, thank God. But um, what they did to her, I think, really damaged her. But um, I think that the way that she danced and the way that she just let loose, that was what separated her from any other artist. Like, I can watch other artists dance and get it on screen, and I don't see a burn. I, I, they're passionate, but when I see Britney, I see a burning passion. When she danced, she burns. And that was what always separated Britney from other artists to me. I see that in Lady Gaga too. Like when she dances, she burns. Um, I just feel like I hate that she's gone a little bit more main, like, you know, like the whole Hollywood aspect. But like, I get it. Like you're moving up and you're moving up in society and you're making that name for yourself. So I get it. But I totally miss that edgy, like the fame album, you know, like Born This Way album being edgy and not giving a fuck that's that's basically what i'm doing with scream dream like you saw like the harnesses and everything 
we had a lot of people very angry or very judgmental over deadly dealings because there was no sex or nudity in it. So, um, and a lot of distribution distribution companies had an issue with that. So, um, what I did with Screen Dream was I was like, okay, I'm gonna make this. You want to see something like that I can come up with? I was trying to do something emotional for people to connect with who have ever experienced loss, and I really didn't want sex or nudity in that. But if you want sex and nudity and blood, I'll give it to you. So we're going all out, <laughs> crazy like naked pillow fights, um, nudity, like feathers going everywhere. You know, um, we're building sets for the gore. Uh, we're gonna have to have like a bed up in the air to put the chainsaw through it and just chainsaw through um, a mold of a girl. Um, and we're, we're just doing so much with it. I'm just, I'm kind of at that point where I'm like, I'm not going to hold back. You want it. I'm going to give it to you. So Definitely. that's where I'm at. Yeah. That's just funny when people are like, ah, oh, you need more boobs and nudity and sex and stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give it to you, but my God, you're going to get both. You're going to get male and female. You get it all <laughs> or you get nothing. <laughs> yeah you're getting it all or nothing so that's uh, that's a little bit what's in store but um that's kind of what i'm doing with that project is i'm just i'm at that point where i'm tired of hearing people you know like you gotta have thick skin and i i have thick skin but it just gets annoying when it's like you have people who want certain stuff from your vision and it's like if it's not for you it's not for you i'm sorry no. but I'll make I'll make something and it'll be my vision and I'm going to do it the way I, I want it. Hell yeah! Yeah, I'm going to do it. You know, yeah, definitely. Which distribution companies have a huge issue with that as well. So, you know, you can't make everyone happy. Just make yourself happy. Oh yeah, that's that's the most important person is uh, make yourself happy first, and then everybody else can fall in line behind you. Yeah. Except for me, I'm, I I make the, the kid happy first and then everybody else <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man all right um so before we get ready to go um where can people find you at online um you can go to facebook um just look up adam freeman i have two alternate accounts just you'll see how many friends i have on one just look me up um i do have a website it's on web uh webinar um, which I have on my um, um, Facebook as well. I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, the Scream King 90. Um, so you can find me there. And uh, yeah. And just know that like, if anybody out there is wanting to ever like start a film or get into filmmaking, you can always come to me with questions as well. And um, where can people find your movies? Okay, so some of them are on Freebie um, and Tubi. Um, some of them are just getting released um, right now. Like Savage Vengeance just got released like the other day. I think it was like March 10th or something like that. I don't know. Something like that. It got released. Um, but you can get that one there. The Extreme Films will be from Putrid Productions. Um, they're going to be putting out Fucked, which that can't stream, unfortunately. Um, 
but Chili Madly is streaming. Um, I'm sure Savage will be streaming soon. Uh, once Shark Exorcist 2 comes out completely, it'll be streaming. Um, Curse of the Weird Ear will probably be on Troma now um, once it comes out because it is a full-blown Troma film. Um, so yeah, um, they'll be out on streaming stuff and um, they'll be available for like DVD and Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. Most of what I've done, um, you'll be able to buy them like off major retailers as okay. well once they're fully released. And uh, your Indiegogo's? Indiegogo. So right now I have Scream Dream up. Scream Dream is in demand. Uh, we are about to break 19. We need 13000 more dollars for special effects. It's all practical effects, hand-built sets. Um, so we are, I want to say, close to 19000 right now. Um, but uh, we do need thirteen grand, And I, I, I say that we need it for special effects because... We truly do. Um, the special effects in this is it's just continuous throughout. There's um, body changing, um, demonic possession, chainsawing, um, demon prosthetics, guts got to be made for tons and tons of people. There's a lot of guts going to be thrown around, a lot, a lot of blood. And some of the stuff that we have to do, like we have to cast mold one of the girls and you know you have to like sew in the hair you've got to put the guts inside you've got to paint the body put the eyeballs in we had to make a skeleton with eyes and veins and guts on the inside and make it ooey and gooey and uh, there's just so much that we're doing with it um so it's it's you know it, it you think well, because like originally like our budget for that was like 15 grand just for special effects we've got a little bit of that um, so the 13 grand, people are like, what are you going to do with 13 grand? Like, it, we have a lot of special effects for Scream Dream. We want it to be picked up um, by, like, the best. So that's what we're doing is making sure that these effects are top-notch. Um, what we are also doing that a lot of people don't know is that the effects, this Scream Dream remake is supposed to be an extreme film like the extreme underground where we're making it cinematic and we're making it a remake, but we're also one to make it extremely, extremely inappropriately gory. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, I, I greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate what you're doing. Um, okay. As I've said this to every independent horror maker, every independent filmmaker I've talked to, um, you know, I believe that independent horror and well just independent films period um our labors of love they've got a lot of passion put in them and people give them shit they're like oh look at the budget the budget but you can see a movie with a 200 million dollar budget where everybody mm -hmm. is a, a zombie and has no passion in that movie because all they're doing is for a paycheck but yeah. when you have somebody doing it for the love of doing the movies you can tell that they're having fun you can tell they're oh, yeah. enjoying what they're doing and I believe that's where independent filmmaking is right now. You know, do you make a living? It, I'm hoping, it, you know? It's on the rise. It's on the rise for sure. Yeah. Um, and do I make a living off of it as of right now? No, but I would like to. Yeah. And I think that once, you know, Deadly Dealings was to show people the production value I knew that it was not going to be for everyone going into it. 
but um, I wanted to make it, and I don't know if you stayed tuned for the very end, like all the way at the end credits. Um, we had a memorial. Yeah, uh, that we yeah, put I watched up. all that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so because everybody lost somebody, and um, it was about love, loss, and resurrection. Um, I wanted to make it personal, so I just wanted for that film. I wanted everyone to see the production value. So going into Scream Dream. Um, we're going to now sh put that in effect, you know, like the the va the production value with what everybody is wanting. So cool, 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 cool. And um, like I said, you got a lot of good uh, perks left on the uh, Scream Dreams uh, Indiegogo. Uh, you guys got a lot. And cool stuff. if you. If you want to go to the page without the link, just go to Google and put in Scream Dream Indiegogo, and it pops right up. It's like the very first thing that pops up. Cool. Well, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, and thank you for dealing with all the crap that I've had to deal with on my end here with the damn dogs oh, and then the, uh, <laughs> the internet crashing and then Zoom crashing. And <sighs> I would love to show you my dog. My, my fat dog, I can't pick her up because she is, uh, she's fat. Would you like to see my dog? All right, yeah, let's see your puppy. Okay, let me get it. Come here, Ash. Come here, buddy. This is not the Padango. Oh, it's so cute, the Corgi. That's, that's my, that's my Lulu. Oh, 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 she looks like my old, my old dog. <laughs> And we, had a, oh my we had a puppy that looked just like that, almost. Here's my the wife. Um, okay. oh, oh, courage. They could be cousins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love you too. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, now you met the pups. <laughs> <laughs> I love my puppies. Oh yeah. Don't I? You so do. We're going to have a giant kettle session in like two seconds. Yep. But it's been great. And yep. thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being on. And uh, we'll get you back on sometime if you want to talk about anything else. And oh, yeah. Talk about all kinds of stuff and uh, all that stuff and stuff. Okay. Go lay down, Courage. <laughs> all right. Well, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Awesome. I'll see you later. Thank you again. All right.